Well, welcome to Nets 3, Stewards of the Mysteries of God. This is session 3, and it's Ambassadors in the Power of Jesus' Name. Now, just to review the levels of unity that we spoke of last time, they can be summed up prophetically with three different actions or services. The first level, the unity level, is the believer's level. And I see it as represented in the tradition or action of communion. We see it in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Then the second level of unity is the discipleship level, which I see as represented through the offering or for, through freely giving. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you used, it will be measured back to you. He also said that the world would know that you were a disciple because of your love one towards another. That was reciprocal. That at this level, it would, it would have to be reciprocal. That we would give freely through the love of God, but that the unity at this level demanded reciprocity. Then the third level of unity is the stewardship level. And I see this as represented in the drink offering, as being poured out for the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's like the water and the blood from Jesus' side. The blood is our salvation, our entry into the family. The water is our cleansing. And we are disciplined to follow his ways and not the ways of the world. And as stewards, our lives are poured out in service to him through continual faithfulness and obedience. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, we read, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, other translations say, the administration of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We... As stewards are able to know mysteries which have been hidden. Not just any person is able to know the mysteries, even though they might be available. It's those who have been faithful and those who are pouring themselves out as a drink offering before the Lord that are in the place to understand and receive the mysteries. And we live in an administration of the fullness of times. When all things are coming together and all things are being fulfilled upon this earth, and even as the Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. We live in that time and we happen to be his arms, his feet, his eyes, his ears. We happen to be the ones that he is using now on the earth to make known the mystery of his will and to manifest upon this earth the power and authority which he has, all authority in heaven and earth. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, 
and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's a man who was an ambassador in chains. He was being persecuted for representing the gospel. And yet there's a mystery of the gospel. He was representing the mystery of the gospel, the things that were kept secret from before the foundation of the world that were being manifested in this administration. Those things which even to this day are hidden from many people who know the Lord. And it's up to us. Those of us that want to be stewards, that are willing to commit ourselves to his household, that are putting ourselves in a place of being poured out for him, of being a steward to him, putting ourselves in a position where we will watch over his house for him and do what is right on his behalf, that are getting to know the mysteries of the gospel, and that we are then able to be utilized by the Lord as ambassadors. And an ambassador is one who speaks on behalf of the king or the one who has sent him. Those of us that are willing to commit and become stewards also may become ambassadors for Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2 through 4, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Addicted to the ministry of the saints, chained to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mysteries are part of who you have become. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now all Christians are called to be ministers, but not all ministers become stewards. And those of us that are willing to become stewards, that are willing to totally commit our lives to manifesting the power, the authority, the word of God upon the earth, are ministering according to stewardship that we've been called into. Verse 26, The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Look at that verse again. I labor, striving, working, and doing works. Christianity is not made for those that were going to just sit on the sideline. Christianity is made for those that want to get in the game. Stewardship is not made for those that want to sit out and watch others do it. Christianity is not meant to be a spectator sport. And those that want to be stewards of the mysteries of God will never be left on the sideline, but they will be put in the game. They will be working. They will be laboring. They will be striving, and they will see the works. In chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's a different kind of inheritance he's after. There's a different kind of riches that he's speaking of here. There's something higher and greater than earthly riches. Now we know that God wants to bless us and he wants to bring all things uh, to us. He's even stored up the riches of the wicked for the righteous. However, he wants stewards that he can bless, which will make distribution according to his will. Not those that will take it and consume it upon their own lusts, but that will receive it in his name and then utilize it for the benefit of his household. In Mark chapter 13, verse 34, it says, 
It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants. That word servants is the Greek word doulos, which we know is the bondservant who has been set free but has chosen to come back and give his life to the master and to each his work and commanded a doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. <laughs> watch. What are we watching for? It's the lazy servant that watches for the master so he can look busy when the master comes. It's the wise servant that's watching for the things of the master. It's the wise servant that's looking out for the enemy, that's trying to keep the things of the master secure and to watch his investment, which we know is the people of God. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. As stewards, we need to understand what is the power of attorney. And that power of attorney is that in the name of Jesus, we can use our inheritance for the good of another. That we as stewards, as servants, as douloses, can utilize what the Lord has already stored up for us. Those things which we already have received, the mysteries which have already been shown to us, that we can utilize those in Jesus' name for the good of the Master, which obviously is going to bless the people of God. Authority is given to a person to act on behalf of another person. That is power of attorney. You don't give power of attorney just to anyone. You give power of attorney to someone who can be trusted. For instance, if you need someone to take over power of attorney for you. For instance, if you're going to be off in a far country. If you're going to be away for a while. It could be health related. You have the right to give power of attorney to anybody in the whole world. Well, first off, you want to give it to somebody that's going to be where the job is that needs to be done. But secondly, you want to give it to somebody that you can trust because when you give them power of attorney, then they have the right to do whatever it is that you've given them authority to do. Now, you can give someone power of attorney over your entire estate. It better be a very well-trusted person because it's like giving them authority over everything you are and everything you have. But you can also give a power of attorney to a person over just one individual action. For instance, if you've purchased a new car, or let's say you're selling a car, you're selling an automobile, and so you're going to be out of town. So you can leave the title signed and give that power of attorney to someone to sell because you have this, the buyer is coming with the money. But you're going to be out of town. You don't want to miss that sale. It's already been set up, so you're out of town. That person now has power of attorney to sell that car. Now, you've trusted them to sell it, and you've trusted them to accept the money on your behalf. If they can't be trusted, they could be gone, and so could your money, and maybe your car <laughs> when you get back. But if it's someone you can trust, then when you come back, the car will be gone, the person who purchased it will be happy, and you'll be happy because that money will then be there for you to have. Now, you then have that much trust in that particular person. The Lord is like that with us. He potentially could give all authority in heaven and earth to any Christian, but he never has. Possibly because there's not been a need. He's got all authority in heaven and earth, and he's seated at the right hand of God. However, there isn't a single person on earth, I think, that could handle all that. Even Jesus had to ascend up on high to operate it all. But my point is, is that he will give us authority and power in his name, but it's delegated according to our trust. How much can he trust us and how far will we go with the blessings that he's given us and still use them for his benefit and not for our own benefit? That's how we show him how much trust he can give in us and how much power can be in the name when we use it. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 and 10 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, this section here is many times used to preach to those that aren't saved. And that's fine if you can get them saved with those verses. But if you continue to read, 
to chapter 2 because man put the chapters in. And it's nice that we have chapters and verses which man added to the Holy Scriptures, but they're not in the original. They were added for reference, but they weren't ever said that they had divine authority behind them. Just like we had previously read up here in Colossians chapter 1, and we read right on through into chapter 2 without stopping. Many times we lose the context because we stop where man put the break. Now I'm thankful for the breaks that we have, like I said, with chapters and verses for reference so we can find where we want to go. However, here in 1 John we see again, if we keep reading we can see the context. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 it continues, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's Christians. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Your advocate is Jesus Christ. He is up there as your defense attorney speaking to the Father. If you sin, and he just said right there, my little children, if you say you don't sin, then you just sin. Because <laughs> lying is a sin. <laughs> and and if, you did, if you say you never sinned, then you just lied. You sold a whopper. <laughs> and everyone knows you told it. We don't need discerning of spirits to know you told it, because the Bible says it. <laughs> so, But we have Jesus Christ, our advocate. He's our defense attorney. If we will say, okay, Lord Jesus, I have you on retainer. <laughs> I have sinned today, and I confess my sin. Would you speak to the Father on my behalf? And He will speak to the Father on your behalf. The Father does not like sin. The Father hates sin. You can't come before Him unless you have clean hands and a pure heart. But the Lord will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and He'll go say a good word for you with Dad. That's an advocate. Now, He is an advocate for us in heaven, and we are called to be an advocate for Him upon earth. We are called to speak for Him upon this globe to men. But we have got to speak His word, not your word. We have to speak what He has sent us to speak. Even Moses, as faithful as he was, when he said God was angry and God wasn't angry, then he received some judgment. Now, he was angry and there wasn't anything wrong with him saying, I'm angry. Children of Israel, you guys have done it again. But when he said, I'm angry and God's angry, that was a mistake. Because to speak in the name of the Lord, something that it, the Lord hasn't given to you, he takes very seriously. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, And he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He wants us to have authority in his name. He wants us to go out and take dominion over the things in this world that he didn't create for man. Demons were not created for man. Sicknesses were not created for man. And he wants us to preach the kingdom of God. Not preach yourself. Not preach what you think should be preached. Not even preach the church. Okay, it's okay to speak of those things. Your testimony is important. But only if it leads people to Christ. We are to preach the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom is preached, there's power. There's authority. There's dominion over sickness. There's dominion over demons. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it says, And he appointed twelve. And there's three reasons he appointed them. That they might be with him is number one. And that he might send them out to preach is number two. And number three is, and to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. That's pretty important. And that's pretty remarkable that he puts those things in that order. It's interesting because I always thought, well, they should be given authority first. He called them that they might be with him, and that was first. And secondly, that he might send them out to preach. And he sent them out to preach before he gave them the power. But they went out in his name, and great and mighty wonders were done. But abiding in the Lord comes first. Relationship with the Lord is always first and foremost in his mind, in his heart, and it should be with us. When Adam sinned, fellowship was broken with the Father. And that's the first thing that God wanted to have restored. And that is still the most important thing, is that we would have fellowship and that we would be with Him. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleasing through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. These men of God, including the Apostle Paul, were speaking to them saying, We are ambassadors. We are servants that have given our lives over to serving the Lord. We are stewards of His, and He has sent us to speak on His behalf to you, not to non-believers, but to Christians. And He's saying to Christians, be reconciled with God. Now they were reconciled when they were saved in that they received the Spirit. And there was a connection now with God. But there's a fellowship that we continually need to grow in and we continually need to guard. And these ambassadors are speaking on behalf of the Lord saying, Look, you need to be reconciled with God. We, as ambassadors of Christ, need to notice when people are not in connection with the Father and we need to tell them, Be reconciled to God. You have the right to speak on behalf of the Father because you're looking out for His things. You're looking out for the things of the household of God by watching over His people and helping them to come back into relationship because that is number one in His eyes. And that's going to be number one on the hearts of those who have been sent as ambassadors is to see people coming in close relationship and in reality to see them being raised up so they also can be sent out as ambassadors. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 17, it says, A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Another translation says, A faithful ambassador brings healing. Because we can bring healing to the nations in Jesus' name. We can bring healing to individuals in Jesus' name. If we are first and foremost with Him, and then if we go out to preach, and then with the power of God, we lay hands on the sick, they recover, demons come out. That's a faithful ambassador, brings health and healing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together with Him. Now suffering in this word doesn't always mean pain. What it means, we stick with it. To overcome, to persevere, to be ambassadors means we have to stick with it. We are heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are here as an advocate for Him. We're an ambassador sent from Him if we've proven ourselves faithful and we speak in His name on behalf of the things of the kingdom. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. In the name of Jesus. It's the name above every name. He earned it. In John 17, 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, and keep through your name those you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. One time I prophesied, and the word that I prophesied to my mind, contradicted what I read in Scripture. And we know that the Scripture is a more sure word of prophecy. And so that if a prophetic word contradicts Scripture, the Scripture has got to be understood as correct. However, I felt it was of the Lord, and it was judged by other prophets, and it was judged to be correct. So I felt like there was a contradiction there. So I just sort of left that prophecy on the shelf, so to speak. And it was a number of months later, I was reading in my Bible, and I came to this verse. And in the margin, in tiny little letters, there was a note. And here in John 17, 11, it said, It should be translated, not in your name, those whom you have given me, but in the power of your name, the name you have given me. And when I read that in the margin, I realized that the prophecy had been true and the translation was not telling the fullness of it. Now, years later, a translation came out. It happens to be the NIV, the New International Version. And that says in this verse, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me 
so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. God gave his son his name. And Jesus used that name. Now Jesus has given us his name to use. And we can be one as the Father and he are one. And it has to do with coming into relationship through him by the use of that name. The name of Jesus Christ brings us into a place of unity with him and unity with the Father just as he had unity with the Father. And we will be kept by the power of that name. The name which is above every name. The name of the Father, his children in the Old Testament couldn't even speak it. Matter of fact, they were so afraid of speaking it that they quit writing it down and they're not even sure how to pronounce it to this day. And yet we realize it's not how you pronounce the name of Jesus, but do you know who it is whom you're speaking when you speak it? That we would speak on his behalf in his name. It's not the pronunciation that's important. It's knowing whom you're speaking for. It's knowing whom you have the power of attorney from. Now in John chapter 14, 13, 14, Jesus said, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now how come sometimes when we pray and we say in the name of Jesus, we don't get it? Well, sometimes it's because we have to have faith and we have to have perseverance till we see it. We understand that. But there are other times when you're asking something that's amiss, as it says in James. You're asking for something that he has not delegated you to speak on his behalf for. That you haven't placed yourself in a position of utilizing that power of attorney for. That's why we need to seek his face, understand his will. And he gives us the desires of his heart. So therefore, we have his desires. And what we ask in his name, we receive. Now, faith is a big part of that. But remember, he said to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. We also have available keys, but we can't unlock a door we don't have a key to. When we receive the key, we have the power of attorney. Can you go to him and ask? Certainly you can. Does he give authority? Certainly he does. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. It was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the miracles were done. Did it take faith? Yes. Did it take action? Sure. Faith without works is barren. However, all the action doesn't help if you don't have the power in the name. Do you always have to say, in Jesus' name, those words? Absolutely not. Because if you've got the authority, you can act in the authority of the name. As I said, it's not the pronunciation of it. It's not witchcraft and sorcery where you say a particular word, abracadabra, in a certain way, and then something happens. It's faith in the name, but it also comes from authority delegated to you as a servant. Be reconciled to God. In Acts chapter 3, verse 16, And his name, through the faith in his name, has made the man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect soundness in the presence of you all. In chapter 4, verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He did it. He triumphed over them. He has authority over all principalities and powers. He can exercise that dominion and that power at any time. But we get to do it in his name. By His permission, by His delegated authority, we can never fail. We need to receive that delegated authority. We need to prove that we can utilize that authority. I use the example at times in light of having the power, for instance, that Elisha had or that Elijah had, that we could call down fire from heaven, that we could blind the, the enemies of God. 
that we could see an axe head float, that we could feed the masses. Those are things that the prophets of old did, and they didn't have the same spirit we have. We have even more because we have the spirit of Jesus Christ. But have we placed ourselves in a position where he can trust us to do what he asked? If every time something happens and you get angry and you speak harshly, how can he trust you with authority that when you speak, things happen in the heavenlies? Remember when Jesus' disciples said, can we call down fire from heaven? Well, at least they asked. But he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because when the prophets of old called down fire from heaven, they did it as the will of the Lord. When the prophet of old spoke and said that the enemies were going to be blinded, they were blinded, and he led them to the king. And the king said, can I kill them? Thankfully, he asked. And he said, no, feed them, bless them. And they went away, and the enemies came no more. They went in authority and power because they could be trusted to speak the will of the Lord no more and no less. And we have also got to be to the place where we can be trusted to speak in His name as stewards, to do His will and think of what He wants, not what you want, not what I want, that we would not abuse the authority when we can be trusted like that. He'll give us the keys. Certainly, as any steward will start, and we'll be trusted with a little. And as we're faithful with little, he will give us much. In Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 14, there's a wonderful story of the seven sons of Sceva who were exorcists. They would exorcise spirits and cast out spirits. And they would do this generally for a charge in those days. But they saw the Apostle Paul and other Christians casting out demons that they weren't able to cast out. And they, they saw them doing it in different ways with much less hooky-pook <laughs> and so, so much less abracadabra and all the little incantations and things. And they saw great power. It reminds me of when Philip was in Samaria and here was Simon the sorcerer who they thought was a great power of God because he exercised power. It was true spiritual power, but it wasn't from God. But when he saw Philip exercising authority and he saw it, happening in such a different way with the love of God. And he saw that the, even, even the manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy it because that's what he was used to, was operating in a soulish realm. Well, here are these seven sons of Sceva who happen to be sons of the high priest. You think the preacher Sceva would know better than this. But uh, here they went and they said, we're going to use that name. And in verse 14 it says, And also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowering them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, so that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed." This is an example of the riches of the wicked being stored up for the righteous because even though there was no money exchange in that situation, the devil took authority over these guys that were trying to take authority over him. But they were trying to do it in the name of Jesus but without being sent by Jesus. And instead, the devil took dominion over them and all of a sudden the non-believers realized, hey, this isn't just magic. Not anybody can do this. There really is spirit behind this. This power really does come from heaven and we need to get closer to that God. So they burned all the stuff that told them to do it another way. They got rid of all their incantation books, and it was worth millions in current currency. Wow, we can see that today. We could see the devil's kingdom divided and not able to stand. Jesus is the one that said that. Do you think that was only for the devil to use against the church, to divide the church continually? No, if we will walk as stewards and as ambassadors, that the devil's kingdom will divide itself and the Lord will be magnified. The devil was created as a servant. He has become a disobedient servant. But nevertheless, he's still a servant. And when we obey God, and when we walk 
in the authority of God. And when we use the keys to the kingdom, everything the devil does serves those that love God. Now in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, we look at what's known as the Great Commission, where Jesus, just before he ascended up on high, was giving the commission to his disciples and to his apostles. And here in Matthew 28, verse 16, we'll start, Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. Basically, every person on the face of the earth falls into that verse in one of those two categories. Some worship him, and some doubt. We decide which place we're going to be in. And where we choose to be in that verse is going to show what blessings we can receive or what mysteries we miss out on. And verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The Father gave a more glorious name to the Son, who's given it to us to utilize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is wrapped up in the, the name of the Son, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, we begin also looking at the Great Commission according to what's written in Mark. And later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. You'll recall that it was Thomas that was missing at this time, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. You could say, in my name they will speak with new tongues. In my name they will take up serpents. And in my name if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. And they, in my name, will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Does this mean that you have to say that name every time? It's in the authority in that name. Every time you speak in other tongues, you don't have to say, in the name of Jesus, I speak in other tongues. But it, nevertheless, it's by the authority He's placed in you by His Spirit that you speak in other tongues. You can't do it unless He delegates you the authority. And it comes with the Holy Spirit. He said, if you are a believer, you'll do these things. So there are some things that come at the believer level. There are other things that come at the discipleship level. And there are other things that come at the level of a steward. You remember when Jesus sent out the 70 and he gave them authority over the enemy. And when they returned, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Let's keep it in perspective. We are stewards. He brought us into the household. We have authority. We can operate power in His name, but the purpose of it is because we are now a child of God. We can be a servant because we are a child. Will he receive us if we never serve him? Certainly, we're going to be in the household. However, we're not going to be in the stewardship. We will not have authority delegated to us, and we will not have a full reward. We will not be full joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we want to look at this again here. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Now, I want you to understand there's a difference between power and authority. Now, it's not always translated correctly or accurately or consistently in Scripture. So the only way to really know is to look into the Greek. However, power is the force that accomplishes things. 
But authority is the right or the word that releases the power. The one who has the power doesn't always have the authority. The one who has the authority doesn't always have the power. For instance, if you were to pray for the sick and they were healed, you did not have the power to heal the sick. God has the power to heal the sick. And should he, on your word, send an angel with healing to heal someone's body? That miracle is done in his name. His name is the release of the authority, but the power that accomplished it didn't come from you, but it was released by you. But God accomplishes it. Jesus said, if the kingdom of God is among you, then by the finger of God you can cast out demons. The finger of God is just, it's a figure of speech. Just That's how tiny little bit of an effort it is for God to cast out demons. But you have to cast them out by the word you speak, but the power of God proves that the kingdom is here by him flicking his little finger and the demon comes out. Has he always got the power to heal? Has he always got the power to cast out demons? Certainly, but he chooses to wait until someone exercises the authority in Jesus' name. And then he acts, and you can tell the kingdom of God is here. In Luke chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 46, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, he had sent them out before with authority in his name. And they saw power operate. But something happened on the day of Pentecost. Because not only now can we have the authority in his name, but there's something that comes upon us of power. I can't even explain it because I don't understand it all. But something changed on Pentecost that Jesus actually put power into us. Something that spiritual beings understand more than I do. But the power is latent within us as well as the authority as we show ourselves faithful to earn the right to use the power in his name. The word for authority comes from the Greek word exousia. We get our word exercise, to go out and to do something. When we do something, we have authority to accomplish that. If you do something that's illegal, it means you don't have the authority to do that. And you're going to pay a price. If we have authority to do it, we can do it. There are certain things in society that not everyone has authority to do. I see on the highway, every so many miles, there's a place for a U-turn between the two directions of the highway. And it says, authorized vehicles only. Only those that are authorized are supposed to turn there. There are only some that have authority to turn there. Everyone who has a vehicle has the power to turn there, but only those with authority can turn there without breaking the rules. Those seven sons of Sceva broke the rules and they paid for it. We have authority only in the areas where we've been given authority. Some authority comes at the moment that we're saved. Other authority is earned as we show ourselves faithful. The word power comes from the word dunamis. We get our words such as dynamite from it. But a better word, I think, for understanding this is the word dynamos. The word dynamos that we use is like, for instance, in a, uh, a hydroelectric plant where a dam is built for hydroelectric power and the water is allowed to run through the turbines. And within those turbines, when they're going, when the force of the water is going, there's a dynamos that can be turned on or turned off. And when it's on, then those turbines are creating electricity. They're creating power. But only someone with authority can turn that dynamos on or turn that dynamos off. And I think that's a good example of what we have in Jesus' name. Someone with authority has the key to get into that hydroelectric plant. 
and they have the key to get in, and they have the knowledge of where to go to flip the switch to turn that dynamos into something that's exousia of power, that's now not just potential power, but it's actually creating power. And that's what we're called to do. By the name of the Lord Jesus, get the keys in a certain dynamos in His kingdom and go to that place for Him and flip the switch so power is released in this world. We don't always have all the power latent within us, but He always has the power. But He has authority to give, and when we operate in His name, power is released. Things change. Authority happens. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a certain power that's always with us because the power of God is in us through the Holy Spirit. There's certain authority that comes just by getting saved. There is a certain amount of authority and power that you have at salvation that the prophets of old never had even to their dying day. But it's up to us to seek His face, to be in that place of utilizing His authority in His name to see it manifested on earth. Because just because it's there, it's latent. It's possible. But because it's possible doesn't mean it's already practical. It's up to you to get the key and flip the switch. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power they were witnessing. The word witness is martyr. They were alive, but they were martyrs as they were living, manifesting the power that they had. And then it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, as they were called before the leaders in the Sanhedrin. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you've filled all Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That power was able to fill the entire city with the doctrine of the kingdom of God. And great grace was there. Why? Because they were utilizing what was given. Grace is given to us to accomplish more than we could accomplish without Him. Great grace is given to you not to get you out of sin, that's mercy, but great grace is given to you to accomplish great things on behalf of the Master. Grace is given to a steward so that he may do great things in the name of his Master, the one who has sent him. And to do those things not on his own behalf, but on behalf of the Master whom he serves. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives, even to death, just as the apostles there, they were still alive, but they loved not their lives, even unto death. They weren't letting the threatening words of the leaders stop them from manifesting the power of God, which comes from the preaching of the gospel and the manifesting of His will and in His name laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, and then seeing God change the society. When people get upset when God changes a society, they never take it up with God. They always take it up with the one that preached it. But that's why you have authority in His name. And that's why we walk in grace and love. And that's why we love not our lives even unto death because we just have to trust. We are doulosis for Him. Our life is in His hand now, and when we speak on His behalf, then He is in control. We have given Him full authority over what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Reminds me of when Paul and Silas were placed in the prison in Philippi because they preached the gospel, and then they cast out the spirit of divination from the girl, and she had brought much gain to her masters. But when they cast out that demon, she couldn't give the fortunes anymore. She couldn't tell the people's fortunes, and she couldn't make any money for them. So they were angry, and they beat Paul and Silas, and they threw them in prison. Now, Paul and Silas, praise the Lord. At midnight, an earthquake came. It was one of those strange earthquakes, because all it did was unlock the doors. I've never heard of another earthquake like that. I've heard of earthquakes that crumbled buildings and crushed people in them, but I've never heard of another earthquake that just came and unlocked doors. But Jesus is the one that can unlock doors for us. 
Now you might think they're not living very prosperously because here they've been beaten. They obviously are, have you know, wounds and they're hurting, but yet they're praising God. Well, the jailer who had a commission to watch all these prisoners, if anyone escaped, then according to Roman law, he would be burned at the stake his life and his family would be forfeit and they would start the fire that would, they would burn him at the stake with by starting his own clothes on fire. So it would have been much quicker for him to kill himself. And that's why he pulled out his sword and he was about to kill himself. And the Apostle Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all still here. I always wondered, how did the Apostle Paul know they were all still there? Because it was dark. And the reason I know it was dark is because the next verse says, And the jailer called for a light and came in and fell down trembling and said, What must I do to be saved? It was so dark, he couldn't see they were there or not. He just assumed they escaped. Which is probably what most prisoners would do if somebody unlocked their doors. But the same God that could unlock those doors could also hold them in their cells. And the apostle had revelation and he said, Number one, don't do yourself any harm. And number two, we're all still here. So there's no reason for you to do yourself harm. But he'd been listening to them exercising their authority in the power of Jesus' name by song preaching the gospel. <laughs> and he knew that there was something called salvation available. And he asked them, what must I do to be saved? And then he took them home, cleaned them, washed them. His whole family received salvation that night. And the next morning, the magistrates came and they said, let those two guys go. Nothing else we can do to them. And at that point... The Apostle Paul said, wait a minute, they beat us openly without a trial, and that's illegal because we're Roman citizens. Now the law was, if you were a Roman citizen, you had to have a trial. If you were not a citizen, then you could have punishments and things dealt out to you at the whim of many people in authority, but not Roman citizens. There had to be a trial. But when these magistrates found out these were Roman citizens, they were shocked and afraid because the law was, if you exercised judgment on a Roman citizen that was not condemned, then you had to receive that same punishment that you had given them, which meant now each one of those magistrates had to receive 39 lashes. All of a sudden, those magistrates weren't so haughty, and they came and they begged and pleaded nicely for Paul and Silas to go. Paul and Silas had the authority the night before to use earthly authority to stop those beatings. Now, just because they were beat didn't mean they were obeying God. But because of the fruit, we know they were. There were other times when the Apostle Paul said, I'm a Roman, you can't do this. And he stopped riots. And he stopped judgment being exercised upon him. But in this particular case, God must have said, don't say a word about your earthly citizenship. I want to do something with your heavenly citizenship. And they love not their lives even unto death. And because of that, a whole household was saved and a church was established in the city of Philippi. And that's powerful. That's manifesting the kingdom of God over and above the kingdom of this world. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, it's our life. 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Do we need words at times to release power? Of course, but it's not just the enticing words of man's wisdom. In verse uh, 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak the wisdom of God among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When you have the vision like the Apostle Paul has, when you can see the spiritual realm as real as the natural realm, then you can do things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you can count not your life even unto death and live through it <laughs> and see the kingdom manifested on earth and see all the authority of earth fall before you because you're speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name, even on earth. <laughs> the great commission which Jesus sent us out to accomplish basically has three things that we need to accomplish. Number one, we each receive a personal empowerment which we can grow in. 
Number two, we each become a personal witness and have a testimony which we can increase. And number three, each one is to disciple others who will continue to disciple others. 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When Jesus spoke in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 21, he said, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven him. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's our job to go out and extend forgiveness in Jesus' name. That's powerful. When Jesus did it, when he was on earth, they questioned him. But you have authority that the prophets of old didn't have authority to accomplish. Forgiveness in Jesus' name. That's power of the kingdom of God much greater than we realize. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Remember, he's up there as our advocate, and he expects us to be down here as his advocate. Now, he's doing different things for us up there than we're doing for him down here. But we're co-labors with him. We're fellow labors with him who is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a powerful relationship. We are first and foremost to have the relationship with Him, to be with Him. And He said He would be with us always. A steward works in the name and the authority of his master, not in his own authority. There are things you can do as a son of man, but there's things He wants you to accomplish in His name as a son of God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 and he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Jesus is the rock, Peter is the stone. I will build my church upon the rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even before the night was over, the, the gates of Hades were prevailing against Peter, but not against Jesus. And verse 19, And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. But he doesn't command us that today, that we go out and speak in his name, and we bind and we loose, and he stands behind the things that we loose or bind in his name. The context of this section, as we know, was who is the Messiah? Jesus is the Christ. He said, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And upon this understanding that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. And everywhere where we preach Jesus Christ, the church is built. And from the church, the kingdom is extended. Our job is not to build the church. Our job is to extend the kingdom. His job is to build the church when we speak in His name when we make known the Messiah, when we make known the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable or untraceable riches of Christ, and to make known and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. The fellowship of the mystery we should be making known. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Every believer has been given a ministry of reconciling men to Christ, because first and foremost, 
more than anything else, God is interested in restoring what was broken at the first sin that man did in the garden, and that is fellowship with Him. And every Christian has the right in and the power in Jesus' name to bring people into an understanding and a fellowship and a relationship with the Father through Jesus. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation and a word to reconcile. He has given us the authority as well as the power. And then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. You believers have a, a call to go out and reconcile men, but you need to get with him. You need to abide in him. And we are calling to you as ambassadors, as one having been sent from heaven, one having been sent from the kingdom of God in the name of the king to implore you to be reconciled to God and go out with the word of reconciliation and bring others into the kingdom because time is short. They're only going to live so long. You have a call and you have authority to grow in. So go out and do it. We are ambassadors for Christ and we implore you for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. People, you are called to be the righteousness of God upon the earth. We are ambassadors of the kingdom to the world. The church is simply the embassy where we come back to and go out from, but it's the kingdom that we're extending. Amen.